Well, good morning, Storehouse family. Thank you so much for joining us online this morning. Those of you who are tuning in, my name is Marco. I serve as the preaching and teaching pastor here at Storehouse McAllen. Uh, wherever you are and whenever it is that you're listening or watching this, man, I pray that the grace of God for you uh, would be keeping you near to Him. Uh, as you can see, we are back to our online gathering. And before I dive into a couple of details uh, regarding our online uh, gathering, let me begin by inviting you to join me in Psalm 69. We're going to be looking at verses 19 through 21. While you open or load your Bible, let me give you a couple of quick updates for our time. Uh, the first update is we are going to be gathering online for the next two weeks, which includes this morning and next week, which is the 19th. Now, these two Sundays are the minimum. In other words, we might extend this time. It just depends on what cases in Hidalgo County concerning COVID-19 look like. At the end of the day, we want to prioritize um, love for one another. We want to prioritize love for our neighbor, and we want to prioritize the welfare of our city. And so thank you so much for your grace and patience in this time, uh, particularly for today. Uh, this decision was not easy. Uh, it came toward the, the end of the week. Uh, and so, man, just thank you again for your grace and patience as we navigate through this season. Uh, the second update for you is our digital liturgy page. If you haven't been to our website lately, uh, you can visit storehousemccallan.com and on it, uh, you'll see a digital liturgy page. And on that page, we have everything from resources for you to grow in your maturity and understanding of who God is in Christ. Uh, so we have theological content for you. We have devotional content for you, uh, several free material for you to download and to use during this time. In addition to several updates, both from Storehouse ourselves or the county. The third announcement or the third update that I have for you is whether we come back on the 26th or not, on the 26th of July, we're going to be starting a new sermon series on 2 Timothy, and we're titling the sermon series Faithful Grit. I'm really excited to walk through the book of 2 Timothy with you. We will be in 2 Timothy for about eight weeks, uh, and it just seems very applicable to our season as the Apostle Paul is writing to his spiritual son, Timothy, about what it looks like to persevere uh, in a season uh, that is a little unpredictable, that is a little uncertain, and has several challenges. So seems very appropriate for our time. Again, that series starts July 26. I would encourage you to begin reading ahead so that you can familiarize yourself with 2 Timothy. Those are all of the announcements that I have for us this morning. I'd love to just dive into our time. Once again, if you are joining us uh, online, we're going to find ourselves in Psalm 69, verses 19 through 21. Well, we've been in a series in the Psalms for the last several weeks, walking through a variety of emotions in an effort to understand that our emotions are good, they are biblical, and they are also important. God designed us with emotions so that we would be drawn to Him through the manner in which they communicate. However, because of our sin, not only was our relationship with God affected, but our emotions too were distorted. 
Rather than being drawn to God, we seem to run harder and further away from him. But the good news of the gospel, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that through the person and work of Jesus, not only are we not described or defined by our sin nature any longer, we are now identified with Jesus, which means our emotions are being made new as well. This morning, we're going to be looking at shame. And shame is going to piggyback off of guilt from last week. And just like last week, I want us to look at three questions. And these are on the notes that you can find online. And those three questions are, what is shame? How does shame motivate? And then finally, how does the gospel free us from shame? During our time this morning, I want you to consider embracing this main idea, and that is that God does not shy away from us in our shame. Instead, in our shame, God restores us, or God meets us with his grace and restores our identity. Let me say that one more time. God doesn't shy away from us in our shame. Instead, God engages us in our shame with his grace and he reminds us or he restores our identity. In this time, I'd like to read Psalm 69 and then I'll pray and then we'll dig into those three questions. Here's what the psalmist writes. You know my reproach and my shame and my dishonor. My foes are all known to you. Reproaches have broken my heart so that I am in despair. I looked for pity, but there was none, and for comforters, but I found none. They gave me poison for food, and for my thirst, they gave me sour wine to drink. Church, let's pray. God, it has been... Um, an interesting season. It has been a challenging season, and it has been a season that seems to provide constant change. However, none of this is outside of your sovereignty. None of this has caught you by surprise. And so, Lord, as we begin to study your word, let us first begin by confessing that often we are filled with worry. Often our worry that turns us away from your grace and your sovereignty. And so, Lord, as we dive into your word, would you please meet us where we are? Would you meet us where we are with your grace for the purpose of restoring our identity. God, as we look uh, at this emotion of shame, I know many of my brothers and sisters are carrying this into our time this morning. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would not only reveal sin, but that you would bring comfort and healing concerning their shame. Lord, I pray that this time, even in the midst of a challenging season, 
would be about us fixing our eyes on Jesus and ultimately worshiping you, exalting you above everything else. God, we thank you for this time. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first question is, what is shame? Often, guilt and shame tend to go together, and so uh, I think it's important for us to make a distinction on the difference between guilt and shame so that we're on the same page. And I want you to begin by considering our time last week when we examined guilt. We said that guilt true guilt was a moral failing. There was a difference between true guilt and false guilt. You can visit the sermon to learn more about that. But when it comes to true guilt, we defined it as a moral failing. In other words, guilt communicates that I have done something wrong. Guilt communicates that I have sinned. Shame, on the other hand, communicates that something is wrong with me, and if people find out, it will be unacceptable. And what you and I need to understand when it comes to shame is that just like guilt, shame is sometimes brought on by our own sin or by the sins of others. There is a difference in uh, uh feeling shame and being shamed. And because shame is relational, it can communicate a break or a strain or tensions in our relationships. I want to give you two quick examples. Consider the individual that may be addicted to pornography and keeps it hidden from others. As I've met with and counseled individuals who have been addicted to pornography, when it comes to that, they know what they are doing is wrong and sinful. So they would say they would consider themselves guilty of their actions. And in addition to their guilt, they enter into a space or, uh, yeah, enter into a space of shame where if this comes out, it will be unacceptable. Others will see me a certain way. In that example, those individuals or that individual who would be addicted to pornography is experiencing shame based on their own sin. Another example of what it looks like to be shamed or the difference between, man, experiencing shame because of our own sin and then experiencing shame because of being shamed, I think a really good example or a very easy example, I wouldn't say that it's good, an easy example would be the current season that we find ourselves in. See, many of us know individuals who have for instance, tested positive for COVID-19. And one of the things that we see constantly on social media because of so much information and good literature and bad literature and misleading and confusing, all various types of information that's coming out, as we hear about people that we personally know who test positive for COVID-19, there is almost this shame culture that they are then treated like a leper and kind of cast off into the margins, like stay home. Don't talk to me. That's weird. Did I talk to you? Was I around you? And sometimes, fine. I think we need to to, to exercise caution and, and doing whatever it is that we need to. However, we don't need to shame people because they contracted a virus. 
And I think that's an example of shaming someone else. And some of you have experienced that where you haven't actually sinned against somebody, but they have shamed you because of their perception. And so when it comes to shame, it's just like guilt. Whether it's shame because of our sin or uh, shame because of uh, others um, shaming us, it's going to feel the same, but both are rooted in completely different things. Shame says something is wrong with me. However, like guilt, shame can actually be a good thing. I know that might raise some eyebrows because none of us like experiencing shame. But stay with me. Shame can be a good thing because shame communicates the severity of our sin and our need to pursue reconciliation both to God and others. Remember, shame communicates that there is a break or a tension in relationships. And so if we actually listen to our shame, if we're able to identify and examine our shame, it can communicate the severity of our sin and our need to pursue reconciliation, both to God and others. And the Bible doesn't shy away from us experiencing shame for the purpose of repentance and reconciliation. Uh, In a paraphrase, I would ask you to consider 1 Corinthians 5 and then 2 Corinthians chapter 2. In 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul is telling the Corinthian church uh, about an individual who refuses to repent of their sin. And in chapter 5, Paul essentially tells the church to leave that person to their sin. Keep the door open, but leave that person to their sin. And then when we fast forward to 2 Corinthians 2, we see Paul and many commentators would agree that the person Paul is talking about in 2 Corinthians is the same person from 1 Corinthians 5. And so when Paul is talking to the Corinthian church one more time, he tells them that as that individual, uh, uh, as that individual experiences shame and sorrow, that we are to restore him back into community and fellowship with God. He says the same thing in 1 Thessalonians 3. As he is closing up that letter, he tells the Thessalonians that anyone who doesn't obey the words in that letter, let them be ashamed. Now, he's not saying that because he just wants them to feel shame for no reason. He, he is saying that so that they would understand the severity of their sin, their stubbornness, and that that would lead that individual to repentance and reconciliation. We even talked about this, uh, I think it was during guilt and Also in 2 Corinthians, Paul tells the Corinthian church that he was rejoicing because they were grieved. Not just because they were grieved for no reason, but because their grief led them to repentance. And so as as hard as it sounds, shame could be a good thing because it communicates the severity of our sin 
and our need to pursue repentance and reconciliation to God and others. However, guilt and in particular shame have an enemy. The enemy is honesty. I want you to think about that briefly. You see, when it comes to guilt and in particular shame, the last thing we want to do is be honest. Because if we're honest, that means we're going to be exposed and made vulnerable. And so as a result, what I want you to consider and be encouraged by is Psalm 69. We're going to look at the first two verses, 19 and 20. And this is how the psalmist opens up. He says, you know my reproach. Now I want to pause there for a minute because in verses 19 and 20, we are seeing the psalmist engage God honestly. You see, rather than turning away from God, rather than running and responding to his shame in an ungodly way, he turns to God and he opens up with two words, you know. That speaks to the character of God and his relationship with God. That God is not only not absent, but God is aware and he is aware that God is aware of what he has done of what he feels, and of what is going on. Those two words tell us about his, the psalmist's, relationship with God. He continues, You know my reproach and my shame and my dishonor. The words reproach, shame, and dishonor here mean the same thing. What he's putting on the table before God in complete honesty is his shame. That is his personal sin. Sin that he has committed toward God and others. And he continues. Reproaches have broken my heart. That is what others have done to him. Reproaches have broken my heart so that I am in despair. I looked for pity, but there was none. And for comforters, but I found none. The psalmist in these first two verses, in the middle of Psalm 69, engages and turns to the person and character of God with complete honesty about his shame and the shame he's experiencing from others. That's the first thing I think we need to learn from Psalm 69. Psalm 69 presents us with an individual who engages their shame with honesty. If honesty is the enemy of guilt and shame, then what does it look like when we walk in that shame? This leads us into the second question. The second question being, well, then how does, how does shame motivate us if we are not honest and if we turn away from God and we don't always respond to shame in a, in a good, godly way and our emotions motivate us to do things? And as we're looking at shame, well, how does shame motivate us? 
And so I want us to consider three ways. Just like last week, I want us to consider three ways in which shame motivates us as we turn away from God. The first one is hiding. Hiding is where we hide our shame by trying to cover ourselves in working out, for instance, our guilt. We talked about this last week. Uh, last week. When it comes to our guilt, we try to ignore it by running as far away as we can from it. And in the middle of that or in the midst of running away, we are trying to dull our guilt by trying to do good things to cover up for this one bad thing. But like last week, we talked about the problem is that guilt Guilt is still there. Even if we put guilt on this scale of good and bad, and we're trying to outdo our bad by doing so much good, the problem is that guilt is still on the scale. And so I want you to consider Genesis 3. Genesis 3 8 says this. This is back in the garden. And they, that is Adam and Eve, heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord, from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. You see, Adam and Eve sinned, so there is their guilt. And in their guilt, they tried covering up their sin and they hid themselves from God as he approached and engaged and initiated conversation with them. That's one of the ways in which you and I respond to shame all the same. Where we try to cover ourselves up, where we try to cover our footstep or, or, or cover our tracks and run away and hide from God. However, the psalmist has already kind of squash that by those two words you know so it's not just this relationship that he has with God it is also the character of God that God knows all things Christian do you hide your shame what is it that you are hiding the second one is self-loathing self-loathing is where we dislike ourselves even to the point where we would say that we even hate ourselves now the problem with self-loathing is that oftentimes many people will respond to shame and self-loathing and self-loathing leads them to encompass that as their identity one of the books that i've been quoting over our time has been untangling emotions by groves and smith and this is what they write this is what they write about self-loathing specifically. When shame is warped, it becomes self-loathing. If guilt and shame have become my identity, then I can't imagine ever removing the stain. <clears throat> I can't imagine ever removing the stain I feel without removing myself. I am so defiled that I am fundamentally damaged and less than everyone else. When it comes to self-loathing, again, we not only isolate ourselves, but we sometimes even embrace this as our new identity because once again, shame communicates that something is wrong with me, others see it, um, and if more comes out, it will be unacceptable. 
The third way in which we respond to shame is blame shifting. The problem with blame shifting is the reason we do it is because we are exposed and now made vulnerable. And rather than again engaging God and others honestly, we shift the blame so that we aren't as vulnerable, so that we don't feel as guilty, and so that we can essentially cover up what has been exposed. Once again, I want you to listen to Genesis 3. This is verses 9 through 12. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And Adam said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. God said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? Then Adam said, The woman whom you gave to me, whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. What's interesting about Genesis 3 is that we see God engaging and initiating relationship and conversation with Adam and Eve because at the end of the day, they belong to him. And so as he engages them, he provides them with opportunities uh, to be honest with him. And what Adam does is not only does he hide from God, they try to cover up their tracks. They are self-loathing because they hate what they've just done. And then when God asks Adam about what he has just done, uh, Adam blame shifts. He shifts the blame to God, essentially saying, because you gave me this woman, this is really your fault. All three of these responses reject repentance they reject reconciliation and they promote self-isolation and self-isolation makes it harder to engage and restore relationships let me let me say that one more time i think that's super important because again shame is relational and it communicates that there's tension or a break in the relationship all three of these responses, hiding, self-loathing, blame-shifting, all three of them reject repentance. They reject reconciliation, and they promote self-isolation. And self-isolation makes it harder to engage and restore relationships. Each one of these responses may come natural to us, but I want you to listen to me. Each one of those responses is selfish and arrogant. It's selfish and arrogant because we make it about ourselves because we don't want to be made vulnerable. We don't want what we've done to be exposed. We don't want others to see things because we already think they do or if they don't know when they find out, we will be made unacceptable and we will just be reminded that we are defiled, that we are depraved. And so we internalize it by hiding, by working really hard, leaving guilt on the scale, but working even harder and failing even more. We identify with self-loathing. We shift the blame. If so-and-so hadn't done this, if she hadn't said that, if things were different, at the end of the day, church, listen to me, all three of those responses are selfish. They're selfish and arrogant. 
And I don't, I don't want you to feel condemned, right? That's, that's Romans 8. There is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, which tells us something. It tells us that I don't want you to feel condemned. Instead, I want you to know that there is a better way to respond to shame. There's a better way to respond to shame. You see, in God entering into human history as the man, Jesus Christ, and dying on the cross for sinners, Jesus bore our guilt and shame so that we might be forgiven and reconciled to the Father through Jesus. The gospel of Jesus Christ frees us to repent, frees us by turning away from our shame and turning to God. Now, listen to me. In repentance, we're going to find four things. There's more, but I want to keep it kind of brief. But in repentance, here's the first thing you find. Listen to me. You find grace. That is, unmerited favor from God toward you. That is the first thing that you experience in repentance. Grace. That we are not defined by our sin. And as a result, we are free to forgive others and practice mercy toward others. In repentance, the first thing you experience is grace. The second thing, the second thing that you find in repentance is your identity restored. You see, in repentance, in our shame, God meets us with his grace and he restores our identity to who we are as children of God. See, as he uh, engages us in our shame, he reminds us that we belong to him. Number three, in repentance, we find forgiveness. That is the removal of guilt and shame. How is it, how is it removed? For the one who belongs to Jesus, remember, you have been redeemed. That is, you have been bought out of your bondage to sin. Jesus bore that sin, including shame, on the cross for you. In repentance, you find and experience forgiveness. That is the removal of guilt and shame through the blood and work of of Jesus. And finally, in repentance, you find reconciliation. That is, restored in relationship with one another. 
I know it sounds like, well, I thought we were already restored in terms of our identity. We're restored in terms of who we are in Jesus. And then we are reconciled in relationship or we are restored in relationship to one another. Now, you need to know that when it comes to reconciliation, pursuing reconciliation is going to be a benefit to your soul as you talk to others. But you need to know two things. Number one, we need to be honest. We need to be honest. That might mean vulnerability. That might mean things are going to be exposed. But that's okay. That's okay. Our shame has been removed. Therefore, we can pursue reconciliation with one another. And so that's going to require us to be honest about our stuff with one another. Number two, listen to me, Christian, because I, I hear this part a lot. As you are honest and as you approach others, you might not get the response you want. Pursuing reconciliation with one another is an act of faith and obedience to God. That's why it's a benefit to your soul. And so let me encourage you as you, not if, but as you pursue reconciliation with one another, be honest with one another. The minute we remove honesty from the table, guilt and shame will take over. I want you to finally look at verse 21. Verse 21, the psalmist says, they gave me poison for food, and for my thirst, they gave me sour wine to drink. This is the prophecy of Jesus on the cross, where Jesus says that he is thirsty, and so the Roman soldiers give him sour wine. Here in Psalm 69, the psalmist is saying that, that he is thirsty, and he goes on to say, he goes on to call God to come down on his enemies. Yet on the cross, when Jesus asked, uh, when Jesus said that he was thirsty and they gave him sour wine, more than likely is so that he would hydrate his lips so that he would yell out that it is finished because on the cross, Jesus suffered the sins of his enemies rather than God coming down like the psalmist is asking him to do in Psalm 69. The wrath of God is poured onto Jesus on the cross so that his enemies, that's you and I, might be reconciled to the Father by grace alone. Church, you do not have to carry your shame. You don't have to carry shame. Jesus bore that shame on the cross. Listen to what Peter says. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Church, when you experience shame, then let that shame take you to repentance and reconciliation so that you would experience peace and restoration with God 
and with one another. Have the hard and honest conversations. Cry out to God because he knows, just like the psalmist tells us, I promise you the Lord will not dismiss you. Back to Genesis 3 and verse 21. This is after God has approached Adam and Eve. This is after he's given them their consequences. Here's what we see in verse 21. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. The way they clothed themselves wasn't good enough because they were going to have to keep doing it. And so what God did after he engaged them and met them where they were, he sacrifices an animal and he is the one that covers them. The animal is the one that bore their sins and he is the one that covers them by grace. It is only God who can remove our guilt and our shame and he does so by sending his son Jesus to die on a cross for sinners so that they might be reconciled to him Christian do you have shame then turn and cry out to the Lord turn and cry out to the Lord in honesty confess your sin put it all on the table we looked at this in guilt in psalm 32 where the psalmist says that he confessed his transgression he did not cover his iniquity he put it all on the table he made himself vulnerable he exposed himself before god everything that we don't want to do when it comes to shame confess your sin repent and turn to the lord jesus Cry out to Him. Be restored by His grace to who you are in Christ. Do not neglect pursuing reconciliation with one another. One of the things that makes reconciliation difficult and almost absurd is that we as Christians are constantly making excuses for what reconciliation ought to be and what it ought to look like and how should I communicate it with this person. And all we're doing is stalling and making excuses rather than actually being honest. Well, I'm going to communicate my sin as long as they communicate theirs. I'm going to tell them about this and because of what I feel or because of what has been going on in my life, but they better not respond this way that defeats the purpose of being honest and being uh, that defeats the purpose of being honest and pursuing reconciliation because we have been reconciled to God now you're just doing it on your terms rather than walking in faith and obedience pursue the hard conversations cry out to the Lord be honest as you seek reconciliation church and if you don't know Jesus, let me begin by saying thank you so much for joining us this morning. And apart from Jesus, just like guilt, you cannot remove your shame on your own. So, so my hope and prayer is that you would turn to the one who can remove your shame, who meets you where you are as you realize your shame. He meets you where you are with his grace and is ready to pardon 
any sin, any sinner, any sinner who turns to him in repentance and belief. Church, in our shame, God meets us with his grace and restores our identity. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this time together. God, we thank you for technology where we're still able to make this happen, crack open our Bibles, study your word, worship you, and exalt your name. God, when it comes to shame, much like guilt, it's one of those things that we just don't want to talk about. God, because we fear being exposed, we fear being vulnerable, we fear being rejected, we fear being um, affirmed that we're defiled. However, your word tells us that if we confess our sin, not only are you faithful to forgive, but you are the one who cleanses us of unrighteousness. God, in your word, you don't shy away from shame. You don't shy away from it so much that Jesus engages us in our shame. He meets us where we are in our shame with his grace and mercy. Additionally, in your word, you don't shy away from us feeling shame for the purpose of repenting and pursuing reconciliation. God, you don't shy away from shame because on the cross, Jesus bore our shame. He took on our guilt and our shame so that we might be reconciled to you, Father, through Jesus, so that we might have the access and capability of crying out to you as your children. And so this morning, Lord, as we spend time and respond to you in prayer, May we put our shame on the table. May we put our shame on the table. May we repent from uh, our sin so that you would meet us where we are with your grace and restore us to our identity in Jesus where you tell us that we belong to you. God, we thank you for this opportunity to gather, even if it's online. God, God, we look forward to um, the day that we can gather again in a normal way, praising you for all that you are doing in us and through us. God, we ask that you would watch over not just our church family, uh, but our extended family and certainly our city throughout this season. May we prioritize love and wisdom. And because we all got the time, may we pursue reconciliation with one another or those that we need to be reconciled to because we have been reconciled to you through Jesus first. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.